Hi everyone, this is Tom Wiley and welcome to the State of Work podcast, where we'll be mashing together the latest news, events and interviews with heavy hitters, all to discuss the ever-changing world of work. If you haven't already, hit that follow or subscribe button on your podcast platform so you'll never miss a beat. And now to this episode. Okay, good afternoon, everybody, um, and welcome to this afternoon's webinar, uh, Employee Mental Health, a Ticking Time Bomb, and what you need to know. Um, so before we go any further, let me introduce um, the, the uh, people who are going to be joining me today. So my name is Alex. I'm a director here at eDays. I've got over 10 years experience in HR with a particular focus on employee engagement and well-being. Uh, but let me introduce Dr. Leah Ali from Dr. Care Anywhere. Uh, Leah, if you could say hello to everyone and tell us a little bit about yourself, that'd be brilliant. Uh, hi there. Thanks for inviting me today, Alex. Um, yeah, so I'm Leah Ali. I'm a psychiatric doctor. I'm a consultant psychiatrist and I'm head of mental health strategy at Dr. Care Anywhere. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much. Um, now, unfortunately, we were meant to be joined by Sarah Mason today, who's head of HR ops at Lambert Smithampton. Unfortunately, Sarah had something very urgent come up at the last minute and she was un unable to join us. Uh, the good news is, is that we've still got all of the content that she wrote for us and we're still going to be talking through it today. Uh, and I have actually managed to rope in Eday's head of people, Claire Avery, who's going to come in to field any HR questions we might get a little bit later. So, Claire, if you could say hello and give a bit of an intro to yourself. Hi everyone, good afternoon. Um, I hope you're all having a fab week. Looking forward to the bank holiday. Um, so I'm Claire, the head of people uh, here at eDays. Um, I've got around about um, coming up to 15 years experience uh, in generalist HR, um, but I've been involved in, in leading some specific wellbeing strategies in, in some of my previous companies that I've worked with. It's so. me phones, I think. Hopefully I can share some uh, fantastic kind of information and insights with you a little bit later on. Okay, brilliant. Thank you, guys. Well, uh, I want to first off want to say a thank you to both of you, Leah and Claire, for putting time aside today to do this with us. Um, but also a massive thank you to everyone who's joining us today. Um, really looking forward to getting into the content we've got. So without further ado, let me talk to you about what we're going to be covering today. So the very first thing we're going to be doing is we're going to be putting it straight back to you guys on the phone uh, in the form of a poll. So we've got five very simple questions, all focused around employee mental health. Um, so that's the first thing we'll be doing. Secondly, myself and Leah are going to be talking through some key mental health challenges in the workplace. And Leah's going to be giving us some expert advice on how to handle these. Um, after that, I'll be going through the Lambert Smithampton uh, success story, talking about what those guys did over there. We'll come back to the poll results and we'll be able to talk through the live results and see what those, see what data those questions kicked out. And then finally, we'll come back, we'll all still be on the call and we're going to do some Q&A with everybody who's on the call today. Okay, um, well, as I say, a big thank you to everyone for joining us. We've got, we've got lots of content, just for everyone's, um, just so everybody knows, if you do have any questions during the course of the webinar, if you could pop all of those into the chat bar on the Ring Central app, where shortly there'll be a message uh, popping up just to show you where that is. Um, through the course of the webinar, we'll be keeping an eye on those questions and then at the end, we'll field them off to these guys. All of the things that we talk about today, including a recording of the webinar and the slides will all be sent out next week as well. So if you do miss anything, um, it'll all be coming out next week. Brilliant, okay, so without birth two, let's get into it. Let's start with the poll. So very shortly, you should see five questions pop up. Um, they're really basic and it would be brilliant if everyone could take the time to fill all of these in. Uh, what I'm going to do now is I'll go quiet, I'll shut up for a little bit and give you about 60 seconds to fill all of these in and then we'll carry on from there. Brilliant, thank you.
Just another 10 seconds or so, guys. Okay, excellent. Thank you very much. It looks like a huge amount of the people on the call have, have, um, have gone unanswered, though, so thank you ever so much. We will leave that open for a few more minutes before it closes. Um, so if you're, still, if you're still going through it, then still, um, still carry on and we'll get all of the answers. Right, brilliant. We're going to kick off with today. So employee mental health, why are we talking about it? Why is this the subject that we've spoken about? Well, from a personal point of view, this is a subject that has been gaining momentum, you know, particularly for the last five years, I've really seen it become more and more of a priority for, for HR leaders and for business leaders alike. Um, and just at E-Days, we've seen a huge number of our clients come to us and ask us to change the way that they're able to track and monitor mental health. So it's clear that this is a really important topic. And just by the number of people who are joining us today, that's obviously the case. So a couple of stats for you here. So Poor mental health is reported to cost the UK economy around 99 billion each year. Now, obviously, the economy needs all the help it can get at the moment. So that's, that's an alarming stat. And 60% of organisations reported an increase in common mental health conditions amongst employees over the last year. Now, this is a CIPD stat. It's a very recent one. It came out just, just last month. So... All of this combined is really why we're going to be talking this, talking through this today. And the main reason that we've been lucky enough to, to bring Dr. Leah into this conversation. So, Leah, we're going to come straight over to you. And before we sort of get into the crux of some of these mental health challenges in, in the workplace, it would be really good if you could just talk to us a little bit about understanding the problem and just sort of lay the foundations for us. Absolutely. Thanks, Alex. So I think those two statistics are really important because they address how huge this issue is, um, both in terms of you know, the cost of the economy and just kind of how wide ranging and how big a problem mental health conditions are in the wider population. Um, and, and we know it's a huge issue. What I think people often don't always understand is how broad a problem it is. So for some people, Mental health, when you say the words mental health, it means lots of different things to lots of different people, and that's very dependent on their experience. For some people, it's something that only happens to others and is too scary even to talk about. Other people will sadly have experienced some form of mental health difficulty themselves, but their understanding will naturally be limited to that particular experience. And in fact, mental health issues uh, cover a huge range of things. It can be anything from a particular stress, like difficulties at work or experience of bereavement, but people can also experience mental illnesses, and that's slightly different. Things like depression, schizophrenia or bipolar affective disorder, those are what we call severe mental illnesses. And then you have things like common mental disorders, um, which are other types of depression and anxiety disorders. And these mild and moderate mental illnesses are extremely common, just, to, just as one of the, the CIPD stats shows, what the population studies show that as much as one in four people, that might be a statistic people are, are familiar with, and that tells us that one in four people in the population in England, according to the studies, have some kind of common mental health disorder. And the more severe illnesses like schizophrenia are rarer than that. It's also important to understand that um, situations that people find stressful can trigger mental illness. So where sometimes people equate mental illness and stress, there's a, a, something different to understand in there that it's also important to understand that the stressful situations are, are important to identify because we know that managing those stresses early keep people well and functioning well. And you shouldn't feel like you need to have an encyclopedic knowledge of all these different types of mental health issues. There are people who are trained in understanding that and can help. And that's what we do um, in the company I work for, work for. But just having the knowledge of the breadth of these issues means that you'll be in a position to help your employees more effectively because it increases your confidence just to start the conversation. And that's something we're going to be getting much more into through the course of this webinar. And I think where we're going to start now is thinking how important that communication is. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you ever so much, Leah. Really, really insightful. So it's safe, to, it's safe to say a very broad challenge and one that covers lots of areas. So for the purpose of today, we've got three key themes that myself and Leah are going to be discussing through. The first of which, as you just said there, Leah, is communication. So again, just to sort of set the scene a little bit here, 
Apparently only 14% of workers feel comfortable talking about mental health, which in itself is quite a, quite a concerning stat. And women in full-time employment are twice as likely to have a common mental health problem, uh, a common mental health problem as full-time employed men. Now, now we'll come back onto that, that stat a little bit later because I know we've, uh, we've discussed that a lot on the build-up to this in our preparation. But from your point of view, Leah, you know, as we've been building up to this and we've been having all of these conversations, the reoccurring theme that just keeps coming back, and those two stats are proof of this, is around this addressing the stigma and the stigma that is currently surrounds mental health. So it'd be really great if you could talk us through that challenge and what you make of it in the workplace. Yeah, so I mean, I'm not surprised that such a small percentage of people feel like they can talk about mental health issues because we know that the stigma surrounding mental health is absolutely huge. It is a huge barrier to people seeking help. Um, and it's something that all companies need to think about. It needs to underpin whatever strategy you're going to take to deal with mental health in your workforce. It, does all sorts of things. It does things to the, you know, the employee themselves. They're not going to feel like they want to, they want to talk about something because of the shame that might be associated with those conditions. And it also affects um, the the employers. You don't, you don't, people are not usually aware of how uh, how much they might be affected by stigma, or it leads to that kind of apprehension around starting these conversations. And one of the first things companies need to do is to recognise that that is an issue, because that's where you start by trying to address it, is recognising that it is a problem. Okay, and I guess that leads really nicely onto one of the other points as well. You know, a lot of the evidence that I've read about, and actually I've been lucky enough to work in a company where I've seen this, is how important it is to have leaders within the business who are leading by example, who are normalizing the conversations around mental health, who are leading any initiatives that the business might be having. What, what sort of difference do you think it makes when you have that, that backing from sort of the, the leaders within the business? Yeah, it's it's absolutely huge, and you use that phrase, um, normalising, normalising the issues, and that's something we've talked about quite a lot, haven't we? And it's for me, it's absolutely key that one of the key components um, for businesses addressing mental health issues is that you start off with this position that it's okay to talk about mental health issues, and there, such a good way of doing that is um, leadership showing that it is okay to do that, leading by example. And that can be done in lots of different ways. Um, I think, as you yourself said, you, you know, you've worked with companies where um, leaders have shared their own experiences. Um, and that's one way. It needs to be tailored to what your company is like and what people feel comfortable doing. But the moment you do that in an authentic way that you feel comfortable with and the leadership feel comfortable, feels comfortable with that filters down to every employee okay it's, it's okay to talk about this it's as okay to talk about this as it is to tell everyone that I broke my leg you know skiing last week or whatever it just it takes away um, all of that worry and concern and that is something that it just needs to be done right up front from day one the moment somebody walks into your business they know that it's going to be okay yeah, so, so important. And, and, and again, thinking about, thinking about this other point here, trust. You made a really good point when we spoke the other day, Leah. You know, I think when I approached this, I was thinking about an employee trusting an employer and how important that is when you're talking about leading by example. But you rightly raised, actually, that that goes two ways. And if, if, a, if a business leader is going to lead by example, then they, they need to trust the people within their business because they're otherwise not going to be comfortable to open up on their own challenges. I guess trust is imperative to being able to get honest and transparent communication around this topic. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely true. And it, what's really important is the quality of that relationship. So there's quite a few um, you know thinkers in this area. So the one that, that I read the most and, and, uh, and listen to what he's talking about is um, Prof. Nick, Prof Neil Greenberg, who is a military and occupational health psychiatrist. He's actually leading the COVID, the mental health COVID response in the Nightingales Hospital. And he talks a lot about this resilience in businesses and dealing with mental health issues as lying in the relationships between people. It's, yes, you've got re resilience in individuals, but actually within businesses and within companies, it is to do with 
how strong those relationships are and trust is absolutely a key component of that and you need to have that in place before you get to the crisis point and that, that's why it's so great to be part of something like this because we're talking to a whole load of people who are thinking about that before the point where people need that intervention that you can get these relationships and those processes in place that absolutely um, engender a culture of, of trust and openness and that's what people need to feel safe to communicate yeah okay well that's fantastic thank you so i think we'll move on to our second theme now Leah. so the second point we discussed we discussed this uh, at length is it around employer responsibility and I've had lots of conversations with HR people over the years and with business leaders around this and they've always sort of asked the same question is it my responsibility you know if a mental health challenge is caused by something that is potentially away from the workplace how much of an active role do I have to take in that so again a couple of stats just to sort of lay the context here 69% of UK line managers say that supporting employee well-being is a core skill Yes, only 13% of line managers have received mental health training. So those stats, you know, obviously don't marry up and we can see there's a problem there. When we think about employer responsibility, Leah, and we think about how important it is to have a set of leaders within a business that are able to help with this. If there are if there are managers on this call, what are the sort of things that they should be thinking about? What should be the important things that they should be aware of and be trained on to allow them to help their employees? Well, I think what you said just now um, it, it is really quite interesting that, you know, when you talk to a lot of people, they're not sure whether they should be addressing it. And I think this comes back to recognising that stigma is at play here because we don't think that way when we're thinking about non when we're thinking about physical health conditions. Um, we absolutely do think it's our, our business. We don't necessarily need to know everything about somebody's situation, but we certainly do need to be able to address it because it, it affects how they're functioning in the workplace and we have a responsibility to that employee in that in that environment. It's no different for mental health. I think what comes what comes into play here is that there's this stigma and also a lack of confidence around being able to deal with those problems. It comes back to, to what, I, what I first said right at the beginning of the webinar around kind of that knowledge that there's a big load of problems I don't really understand. I don't really know how to start addressing them. Should I start addressing them? What can I do? I would say, look, yes, there are a big load of problems. Um, some of them you will be able to address straight away because it might be that someone just needs to know that it's okay to raise this, to know that this is why I needed to take a sick day. This is why I needed, you know, this is why I was struggling with this piece of work, whatever it is, however, however that information comes to you as the, as the manager, um, people need to know there's a safe environment to air that. And then it clearly is your responsibility to be able to address that. And then going beyond that, that you can address just within that, you know, that, that one sort of conversation is then recognising when somebody might need a bit more, when they might need a bit more help directing to whatever assistance programmes you have or, or, you know, health benefits, whatever you have, you know, within the company. And so there's kind of a two-stage thing. What, what I can do first off as a manager and then what I need to signpost people to. So there's kind of a, a role around um, early recognition some early steps of things that, that you can do and, and often that you are doing that with the employee and that's that's a skill in itself and you do this all the time for other other things other components of your everyday job um, and then thinking about the signposting and you've got um Alex you've got process and consistency on this slide and, and we talked before about how I very much have the view that people can use existing processes within their company and augment it with, you know, the other things that are available, you know, other data that's available to them or that can be got so that they can put in place um, ways of, of understanding more of that person's experience. We see such a tiny snapshot of what people, when people come to work, and especially in this environment where we're interacting for short periods of time through a tiny little screen, we get such little information about what's going on for somebody. We have no idea what else is going on for them and how that's affecting them. And so we need to be able to utilise everything that we have, uh, we have available to us um, within the business to try and, and get a feel for, for what that person is experiencing. And that to be presented in a, a normalised, safe, um, safe construct. So the idea of sort of having 
people knowing that when they join the business, they will be asked about their well-being. That's going to be a normal thing. You're, you're going to, you know, you will be asked about that, but it's okay. We're, we're asking you about that because we are concerned and we want to make sure that, you know, you're getting the support and help that you need. You set that up from the off and you use your processes consistently to, to augment that, then you are in a much better position when a problem does arise. Okay, sounds brilliant. And I mean, just, I, I guess, to go back to that consistency point of view, I think there'll be people on the call today who, you know, some will be from all different types of businesses, public sector, private sector, small businesses, large businesses. How do you get those processes and that consistency in place? What might be the couple of things that you would really focus on having consistency around to make sure you cover some of the key areas? So I think there are things that you can do when somebody come in, comes into the business. So, um, that, you know, that kind of onboarding time where you make sure that th this person knows what the culture is in the business. And that the, the culture is one where there is open and transparent communication, where mental health is seen as on a par with physical health and where your well-being is considered a priority for the business. And that that's, you know, that can be done early on, you know, and includes People know what their benefits are and, 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 and you as a manager being aware of what might be helpful to somebody down the line it makes it easier. And also within that process, giving people permission to ask for help so that they don't have to wait until a time down the line when they when they need it and not a not knowing how they're going to get it, but also not feeling like they have permission to do that. And then also, if you, I think it's important to work within the constructs of your of your of your own business, you know, you know, we'll have people with different numbers of employees. So you need to work within how you normally do your reviews, how you normally use the data that's available in your in your business and, and understand what else you need to get that complete picture. Um, and also there are, you know, there are plenty of resources available um, and there is there is training and things available but there's some that you know there are great resources for example uh, WHO have produced great guidance around mental health difficulties particularly in response to COVID um, and there are all sorts of things that people can um, be signposted to or use to augment their own knowledge. Yeah, and we had a good chat about this, didn't we, Leah? And we were talking about the different businesses and again, you know, businesses with large budgets to to look at this initiative with uh, versus some that have none. And you mentioned a couple of sort of, very, you know, charities, which you thought would be very good to signpost people towards as well. Could you just in, uh, talk about those a little bit? Yeah, so Mind have got a load of, so they're the leading mental health charity. Mind have got lots of stuff around um, supporting mental health in the workplace um, and they're, they're very big on the kind of whole parity of esteem between mental health and physical health. Um, so that's a, that's a great place for a lot of resources. And then if you have knowledge about that an employee has a specific condition, then places like um, the anxiety charity websites, um, OCD Action, all have um, specific advice uh, for people with those particular conditions. Um, and those are, you know, you have, if you have access to occupational health departments, those are obviously other places where you're going to be able to get lots of good help and advice. And I would never underestimate how much, and I think we're going to talk a bit more about this, how many of these skills you already have. You are already all people who are dealing in human relationships every single day. Every single day you're doing this in all other parts of your job. And it's using those same skills to have those, uh, those open con conversations. And quite often, employees themselves, the person suffering, them, suffering the distress themselves, knows what they need to do. They just need to be given permission to talk about it. And you know, and you can do that problem solving with them. You might then then notice that they need a bit more. They might need more professional help, or they're not expected to be their therapist. But don't underestimate that. Just opening up that conversation then gives that person the the permission to say, "Well, look, I I maybe just need extra time, or I need to organise things in this way, and this is why." And and it, it's it's okay to have that conversation. Okay, brilliant. All right. Well, that brings us nicely on to our third and final theme. And we're talking about visibility. So again, let's look at some of the numbers here. So one in 6.8 people are currently experiencing mental health problems in the workplace. Um, nearly 13% of all sickness absence days in the UK can be attributed to a mental health condition. Really high figure that is. Um, but only 25% of HR professionals believe they're able to spot the early warning signs of mental health. Now, you spoke a little bit there about, you know, how to encourage conversation out of, uh, of employees. 
we spoke at great in great detail about early intervention and actually how much of an impact this can have if you can catch it and have these conversations and look to do something as early as possible. So talk to us a little bit about the difference it makes when you can when you can start having these conversations as early as possible. Yeah, so we, we absolutely know that people hide what's going on, especially when it's a mental health concern for lots of different reasons. Stigma being the big one that we've talked about. People might be worried that they're going to be viewed differently in the workplace. Their job prospects are going to are going to be affected. These are all you know, huge reasons why people don't bring what's happening um, up earlier. And it has huge impacts. We talked quite a lot, Alex, about that, that very first statistic around the difference between um, men and women and how you know, two thirds of women have um, present with anxiety and, and depression and common mental health disorders. What we actually know is that it can look, people are presenting with distress. They have that mental health distress, but it can look really different. So what I've seen in my career over and over again is that men will often present with something like substance misuse, alcohol disorders. The reasons for that are, are, are really complicated. They're to do with a whole host of complex factors from how we socialize boys and girls, how we make it okay for boys to talk, uh, for girls to talk about emotions, but not okay for boys, boys don't cry, that kind of thing. And that has an effect in adulthood. Um, as to whether you, you you think it's okay to talk about your feelings and your emotions in that way and therefore has a knock-on as to how you present to health professionals and therefore what conditions diagnosed. We know that men often cover up what's happening by turning to alcohol or other substances um, and, that, and that's why there are those gender differences and those presentations and it, it is incredibly complicated and can be extremely overwhelming to, uh, to non-mental health trained professionals um, to, to think, well, how do I even even broach this? Which is why we I, I go back to saying, just making sure the culture is all right and the environment is okay and, and asking open questions. I can talk a little bit more about that. Makes it okay for the person to tell you what's going on. Don't make judgments about and assumptions about what's going on. And that's again why I talked a lot about the, the issues being broad. And we know that intervening early um, is hugely important. It can be make all the difference in a person's in a person's journey we even know that even when somebody is right at the other you know at the other end of the spectrum you know they maybe have feelings of, of ending their life having one conversation one contact where somebody seems to understand what's going on for them and helps them get to the rights for treatment is literally life-saving and that's how important I, I feel early intervention is and and we have a, an amazing opportunity to, to play a part in that journey at a much earlier stage and prevent people from getting getting to, to you know to those those hideous endpoints and, and we can do that by, by looking at, at patterns in, in the data that we have and knowing what relationships are like knowing your employees well knowing how they respond to different different stresses and different interventions once you are looking for those things it suddenly becomes you know when there's a change you know it and then you know somebody is something is happening for somebody and then you can ask those questions you might not you might not know exactly what's going on you're not expected to know exactly what's going on but you comes back to this you're able to start the conversation and is there anything in particular, Leah, that people should be looking out for when we think about patterns and trends? What, what, what might be some telltale signs that people could look for? Well, I think it's, it can be really different for it really different for different people. And it comes back to um, what information you have available. So, you know, some companies will have you know, access to de absent days or um, uh, reasons for, for taking absence and, and people will be more or less disclosing as, as reasons for those other people will know um what what kind of performance targets they look at um with their employees and i think what is important there is looking at in the context of how somebody usually 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 performs or usually utilizes certain bits you know so i've seen that you know the analytics data around how much looking at your emails it, you need to know how your your employees use those things in order to be able to interpret them effectively we talk a lot about the difference between data and information and once you know your business the way people operate within your business then you're able to see those trends better um, and there's the evidence is is um different depending on which data sets you're, you're using 
Yeah, brilliant. And I guess, you know, just putting some of these points together, you know, if you can, if you can spot the patterns and trends, if you can intervene earlier, if you've got the right culture to have these sorts of conversations in terms of signposting people off, you're going to be best placed to do that because, you know, I don't think by any means uh, we're trying to get people to the, to the position where everybody can have every type of conversation, but at least be able to spot it and, and signpost people to the right place. Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Okay. Well, listen, Leah, that was brilliant. I know before you leave us, you want to give us some, some practical advice that everybody can take away and hopefully start trying as soon as possible. So I'll let you go through that. Yeah, it's just really summing up what we've said before. And, and just, I, I know that this can be really overwhelming for people to even, you know, how do I begin thinking about tackling this? And, and I really want you to encourage you to, to think that you do have the skills to do this. So ha that's why that's my first point. It's have confidence in your own skills. As I said, you're all people doing the, you know, building these relationships every day. And it's exactly those skills of being um, approachable and empathic in those interactions that sets up the right culture. Make it safe for your employees to talk. And that that's, it means a range of things. It means making the environment safe. So for example, if you're gonna go down the route of having regular check-ins that, you know, those are always done in a place where if somebody wanted to discuss something that's confidential with you, that they could do. And it doesn't, they don't have to wait until the time when they have the crisis to say, no, actually, I would quite like to talk about this with you privately because it immediately marks it out as being different and more people are gonna know or suspect what's going on and they'll be more inhibited about what they might say. And make it safe to talk in terms of people being aware that in the company there is this culture, mental health and physical health is equal, we are interested in your well-being. it's okay to talk. You can do practical things like using open questions. So this means using questions where you don't have a yes or no answer. So if you said to somebody, are you stressed? You're more likely to get a no answer because of a whole load of reasons. If you said to somebody, how are you doing? That's an open question and allow somebody to put um, what's happening for them in their own words and doesn't presume what the answer is going to be. Um, it's really important that you use your own form of words in doing that. So I teach um, quite a lot and I, I teach mostly non-mental health healthcare professionals. And this is something we always say, use words that are, are, are your own, practice different forms of, of using these open questions. Because once you do that, you come across as authentic and genuine. And that is what allows you to build those relationships. Adapt your responses. We've talked a lot about how mental health issues cover a broad range of things. So somebody who is experiencing maybe, um, you know, a major mental illness, you know, first episode of a major mental illness, they're experiencing really severe symptoms, is going to need a completely different response to somebody who has had um, something that's kind of you know, not within the illness spectrum is kind of more like a, a you know, a common mental distress. Maybe it's a relationship breakup or or something that's of a, of a smaller nature um, that you know compared to a mental a major mental illness. And they need a different level of response. They they might need to talk stuff through with you, or they might not. What they might want to tell you little bits, or um, and and not disclose everything. Don't force people to talk. That's really that's really important that you don't force people to do that. You let them come to you, and you create the environment that's safe encourage self-help seeking behavior. I've said several times that people often need permission to know that it's okay to seek help. And that's really, really important, especially as you will be considered to be somebody in a position of authority um, often. And that brings me to my last point, which is knowing what you bring to the table. Um, often people don't always think about what the power dynamic is in a, in a relationship. Remember the people are going to be Quite often seeing you as you know somebody who's um you know has an influence on their job prospects and you know how they're viewed in the workplace and that will have a really inhibiting effect on what they feel like they can disclose to you unless you've got the other bits right first you know for getting that getting that culture right first um and also know what your own responses are you we are usually very unaware of um, how we respond to the stigma around mental health, what our own experiences mean in terms of how we react. We might be very scared of having these conversations and that means that we might come across in a more inhibited way and actually signal to the person not to talk too much. And that's why I always start with the confidence bit because you need to have that confidence so that you can and be aware of what you're bringing to the table so that you make it possible for these conversations to happen. Okay, brilliant, Leah. Well, that was ever so useful. Thank you ever so much for that. Um, 
uh, Dr. Leah Ali there from Dr. Care Anywhere. Um, loads of really great, really great takeaways. Um, but you're not going anywhere, are you? No, not going anywhere. No, okay, brilliant. So Leah's sticking around to the end. She's going to uh, be answering questions. So just a quick reminder, if you've got any questions, to pop them into the chat, chat group on Ring Central app. Um, and Leah will be coming back later to answer those. Okay, thank you again, Leah. Um, right, as I said, we've the next section was due to be presented by Sarah Mason, who's head of HR Ops at Lambert Smithampton. Unfortunately, if anyone missed at the start, uh, at the very last minute, she's been called away to something quite urgent, so she's been unable to do this. The good news is we do still have all of the content that she's prepared for us. So still a big thank you to Sarah for doing that on the build up to this. I'm going to attempt to go through it. I know the story quite well, but I'm obviously not Sarah, so I probably will not do anywhere near as good a job as she will, but at least we'll still be able to touch on the content that she got prepared. So um, just to give everyone a bit of a, an overview, firstly, in terms of who Lambert Smithampton are. So they're a property consultancy. Uh, they've got over 1,400 client, uh, employees sorry, uh, across the UK, and that's based across 40 UK offices. So a very dispersed workforce. In terms of Helen, uh, in terms of Sarah, sorry, and what she does, her role. So she's head of HR ops. Um, so she, anything people systems wise is is hers to look after. This includes the HRIS that they use, includes the absence management system that they use, and that makes her very very responsible for any well-being initiatives because these are the places that she's pulling all of the data out of to make decisions about how the business should move forward with any well-being uh, initiatives. So if I tell you the story about Lambert Smithampton and the challenges they were facing, so we've got to go back about four and a half years to when we first started talking with them. Um, they'd, they'd made a decision that they wanted to focus more on employee well-being and employee mental health being a key part of that. And what they found is that with their sickness um, processes internally, a lot of it had fallen down to a paper-based process which was causing lots of challenges around human error. As you can imagine with a business that's got 40 offices up and down the country, this led to a huge amount of inconsistency and they had different people recording, logging it, approving it in very different ways. Now, for, somebody that had for a business that had decided that this was gonna be such a big focus for them, not having the visibility on all types of absence and all types of sickness was a real, real problem for them. Uh, not least the fact that they, in terms of payments, they were either overpaying people or underpaying people. So it was causing them all sorts of problems. And because they had such a big focus on mental health, they knew they needed to do something about it. But if we have a think before we look at that in terms of what some of the impacts were. So the first thing was they do, they do an annual employee engagement score. And they'd noticed that employee engagement scores had started to drop. And, you know, when they've looked into the detail, they would found that there were too many conversations going on between employee employer, where there was friction points around these absence, where people were getting underpaid. And following on from that, people just didn't think that they were getting the support that they needed from the business, which was all resulting to poor, poor employee engagement scores. When they thought about the well-being and the impacts they were having, really interestingly, obviously, they just didn't have the level of detail that they wanted. They had a bit of insight from their employee engagement survey once a year, but really, because they were so in the dark with all of their well-being initiatives, they really didn't have the insight to make any changes, and that was really, really important to them, and they can look back now and see where they have made a difference. And as I said, fin financially, if you're overpaying, if you're paying the wrong people the wrong amount, there was a financial impact for the business as well. So what they did was, was really, really important. And you spoke about this really nicely, Leah. The first thing that Sarah decided was that she needed to get her exec team on board. She needed the buy-in from the leaders of the business if they were going to really make a change, if they were actually going to do what they said they were going to do and put employee mental health at the forefront and really prioritize it. So they went about a big initiative to do that. Following on from that, it was really important that they then got champions across the business. So they pulled together a group of people, some in leadership positions, some not in leadership positions, in all different parts of the country, different departments, GOs, different offices, and 
these people were responsible and we spoke about normalizing, but these people were responsible about normalizing the conversation and the fact that it's okay. These were the people who put together the, uh, the, the mental health awareness days that they did and really, really started to spread the message across the business um, around mental health and how they want to be more open and transparent with it. Once they'd got all of this in place, they needed to start focus on how they got good visibility of it. So the first thing they did was they worked with their absence system to put in place triggers and alerts to automatically make it aware, make them aware when something was going on. So as soon as somebody had uh, logged uh, a mental health challenge, HR, occupational health, the line manager were all made aware. And uh, then they can actually set up different triggers and alerts to spot the sorts of patterns and trends that they want to see. So if people log a certain type of mental health issue three times within a certain period of time, again, they can signpost that happening to certain people within the business and signpost that individual to the support that they might need as well. And that was really, really important. Finally, what they eventually ended up with, and this took, this took 12 months to get to this stage, but they ended up with really intelligent reporting in the background, and they were able to then start referencing this off to different parts of their business. So if they had a spike in mental health challenges, they were able to look to see if there was something else going on in the business that could have been you know, a cause to that. They're also able to see whether there are certain spikes in certain departments or certain offices, which really allowed them to dig into what they could do to support these challenges. If we look at what happened on the back of this, they had, there's a couple of results here, all very positive. The key thing that Lambert Smith Hampton were looking to achieve was an increase in their occupational health referrals. And they did that. They got a 20% increase. Really, really importantly, they were aware of the fact that this was not about reducing the amount of mental health challenges, but actually gaining greater visibility of what was already happening. So they were hugely, hugely pleased to increase that referral by 20%. They also uh, were able to pinpoint that there was a slight challenge around flexible working. So they were able to increase flexible working by 10%. They tracked all of that. But ultimately, from a financial point of view, they actually saved 36% on their sick pay, which was hugely important for the exec team who got involved very early on uh, and was a great result for them. Just in the last couple of weeks, Lambert Smithampton have signed up for Time to Change. Uh, if nobody's heard of this, this is a great uh, initiative across England. There's over 1,400 businesses that have signed up this year. Uh, and it's basically them signing and pledging to end mental health discrimination. They're given support from the organization and they work as a group of companies to really hone in on how they can improve these processes within, within their workplace. So finally, I, I said, you know, if you were to give three recommendations about what people could do following on from today, what would they be? And uh, Sarah says, number one, get visibility, get it as early as you can, and get as much detail as you can. And Leah, you spoke you know, so passionately about how important that is. Addressing the stigma and getting the exec buy-in. Again, we've spoken about these a lot. And then number three, it sounds really basic, but you know, when Sarah spoke to me about it, it was very powerful. Realize the importance of mental health in the workplace. It's not, it's not a challenge that's going away. It's not something that you can ignore. And the sooner businesses and individuals really start to um, highlight the importance of it, the better, the better it can become sooner. Um, okay, brilliant. So that was it from Lambert Smithampton and Sarah. As I say, I'm sure I didn't do anywhere near as good a job as Sarah could have done, but I hope, uh, I hope you got some um, use out of some of those stats and numbers. Okay, excellent. So we are now going to move over to the poll results and we're going to see uh, what came out of those numbers. So we had five questions, if ever remembered. Thank you ever so much. We got uh, over 100 people uh, voting through this. So number one was, currently, do you feel you have adequate resources to support mental health issues within your business? Uh, and over half of you actually said no there with 53% saying no. Now we're going to come back to all of this in a second, but I'll go through all five individually. Number two was how quickly are you alerted to employee mental health issues? 
Uh, what have we got there? We've got sort of just over a quarter of you weekly, 30% instantly. There's a good 20% there though that is, is never. So again, we're going to come back to this shortly. Number three, do you have the means to track mental health issues in the workplace? Nearly bang on 50-50 there, 51% of people saying yes. Uh, and number four, over the past month, have you seen a rise in mental health issues? Obviously, we know there's a lot going on at the moment with COVID-19, which is impacting workforces, and without a doubt, it's going to be impacting mental health. So there's, there's no surprises there for me that that's the case with 45% saying yes. And finally, does your organisation uh, have the capability to see who has suffered from sickness or mental health issues as a result of COVID-19? And again, pretty much down the middle there with... Um, 51% saying no and 49% saying yes. So uh, Leah and Claire, I'm gonna bring you in now and we're gonna start off by talking about the results here and then we're gonna go into some of the questions that have been sent in. So uh, maybe Claire, if I, if I come to you first, we haven't, we haven't got you involved yet. What are your thoughts on some of those stats? Um, well, it was great to see so many people taking part. Um, that, was, that was really, really interesting to see. Um, I think, Leah has already spoken quite in detail about um, the, you know, the current situation that we're in and, you know, potentially this becoming even more of a prevalent discussion that we're having in organisations. Um, but I think the results here are, you know, even showing more clearly that as HR professionals or, you know, individuals within our organisations who are responsible for, for others, um, that we want to do more and that potentially we're not doing enough at the moment for our organizations. Um, so, um, you know, if, if over 50% of people are, you know, thinking that they don't have the right support, you know, resources in place for, for mental health in their organizations at the moment, there's something that we, you know, we, we need to, to do and we need to do sooner rather than later. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Leah, I want to come, I want to come over to you. You spoke so passionately there about, the, the early intervention piece. We've got 20% of people here saying that they never get uh, notified of an employee mental health issue, um, as, as well as sort of another 23% being a monthly or longer. What, what's your sort of thoughts on that? Is that, is that concerning? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm not surprised, um, but I, I mean, I'm glad you picked up because that's the first statistic that I, that, um, that result that I picked up on too. And I wanted to say two things about it, actually. It's not, I don't even think this is an early intervention issue. I, I think what comes across to me from this set of results is that the problem is probably a lot bigger than a lot of people realise. Um, because I can see, look, I can see that 39% of people don't, don't know if there has been a rise in mental health issues. I bet you there has been. And it's, you know, and the fact that 20% of people are not alerted to any kind of mental health issue, I, I'm really not surprised by that. Um, it, it, it's usually a much, we know from, we know from the, you know, the statistics at the beginning of the webinar, and we know from the population statistics of, you know, one in four people affected, more people are suffering mental distress than are telling you about it. They're, they're, that is nearly always the case. And I, and I think they, you know, the poll results absolutely highlight that and, and highlight why it's, it's so important to have these kind of conversations and, and be thinking about ways that we can address that. I think that's hugely important and really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And Claire, I'm going to put another one back to you here. So on, on that top one there, currently, do you feel you have adequate resources? With, with over half of the people saying no, that there'll be different reasons for that, for why they haven't got the resources. But what would, what would be your sort of response and your advice to, to those people and how they should go about making sure they can start to, to, to at least get some of the resources that they need? So I mean, my gut feel here, without understanding kind of intimate workings of, of all the organisations, but definitely ones that, that I've come up against previously in my career, is that um, mental health and wellbeing is something that still by a lot of organisations is seen as not a priority, um, is you know potentially expensive um is you know potentially going to get in the way of other commercial activities um and that can mean that organizations aren't open maybe to investing in those things and not making the resources available um so i think 
you know, and, and organizations are getting so much better, better at this now. And we're seeing more and more leaders um, across, especially, you know, in, in smaller organizations who understand that these are challenges in their, their environments, even with very small organizations, you know, startups and scale-ups, they know coming into that, you know, coming into the economy, they know that these are some of the challenges that they need to deal with, with, with their workforce. But HR teams and, um, you know, health and safety teams, um, they need to be the guys that are championing this. If they feel as though organizations um, still have some way to go in terms of investing their time and energy in supporting mental health and, and well-being initiatives, then there needs to be some, some championing from HR to, to bring that business case to, to the forefront, bring the information, bring the data about your organization and the, the difficulties that it's, it's struggling with, bring that to the senior leadership and make your case. Alex, yes, can I, can I just pick up on something Claire, Claire said in there, which I think yeah, of course. is really important. So, one, you know, a big thing that I hope will come out of, come out of this webinar is that is that people will know that there's a problem to address. Uh, but what I think is often a, a really big problem, and it's something that Claire alluded to in what she was just saying, is that once you once once you know that there is something going on, it's an incredibly difficult environment for people to know how to manage that because we talk about mental health, we talk about well-being things, but there's such a there's such a huge range of things out there that people and, and talk about worries about it being expensive. And um, that was particularly the point I wanted to come back to. I think that comes from sometimes too much of a focus on the severest end of the spectrum where you know people think that they're going to need um, they don't want to address the problem because they think, oh my God, we're going to have to you know, get everybody into long-term therapy or, you know, what, you know, some kind of expensive treatment that, you know, whatever. And actually the majority of people, it, it is people within this common mental health disorders group, which actually it can be treated by a whole range of things, usually pretty low cost with really good outcomes, getting people back to work early, increasing productivity. There's lots of good evidence that, that the majority of people, um, and, and I would also argue also people with severe mental illness a, a, as well, but often it's the understanding of the difference between those groups that prevents people from even starting to address the problem. So that's something that we see quite a lot of because, so because we're GP-led, we quite often have people who come through not everybody, not everyone knows that what they are complaining about is something that has a mental health component to it. And we will have people who are having a bit of a stressful time and need, some, you know, reassurance that, that is, is in the context of a, of a health conversation with somebody who is expert enough to be able to tease out, okay, this person is is stressed you know they've been in isolation lockdown but now they are showing that they are developing signs of depression which would be you know could be treated by cognitive behavioral therapy and this is an effective measure for that so it there for me there is a piece in there that we sometimes expect businesses to do all of that and that's that shouldn't be what you know what is expected of people and, it, and, it, and that expectation can be so overwhelming and thought of as so costly that people don't go anywhere near it and then people are just left without any kind of help at all yes that makes total sense Leah. yeah brilliant um okay right thank you right we're going to move on to some q's and a's q and a's um we've had some questions coming through so i hope you guys are ready so the first one is actually for both of you um, and it says, how can we support our employees with coming back to work after seven weeks working from home due to COVID-19? So if I come to you first, Leah, on that one. Well, I think it all depends on, you know, what, what type of business you are. Business you are. I mean, um, I think is, there needs to be some thinking ahead of how people's roles are going to change. People are going to be nervous about the security of their job in the first instance. I think a lot of people are going to be worried about that. And then um, you need to be talking to, you know, it's using those relationships again, talking about people about what their concerns actually are about coming back. What, you know, what is going to be different? Is the company going to operate differently? Um, I know that people are very worried, you know, in my sort of networks, people are worried about things like childcare and the practicalities of, you know, if, children don't go back to school how does you know how does that work your partners are doing different things you know it's and and how that return to work is going to be phased and so i think that comes back to that 
very first point that we made about the communication being open and transparent. And it is not even, in this case, it's not, it's not open transparent communication about mental health issues. It's about the whole working environment. And if you've got those relationships in place, you're going to be able to much more easily address those people's stresses and worries about coming back to work and in that difficult situation. Brilliant. Makes total sense, uh, Leah. Thank you. And Claire, from your point of view, what, what do you think? Yeah, so exactly what Leah was saying about planning. Planning ahead, I think, is going to be the biggie. Um, we are anticipating um, some information from the government on Sunday and Monday about lifting restrictions on the lockdown. We'll have a better idea next week of, you know, obviously what that's going to uh, what that's going to look like. The most important thing is not to knee jerk, make a very quick, rapid decision to move everybody, I think, back into into workplaces and plan. Use the opportunity now whilst people are still working from home to plan that return to work and, and phasing people potentially back into into that environment if that's what you choose to do. Um, I think some of a conversation I had re recently with a, another HR professional was that they're using now this as an, an opportunity to ultimately kind of tear up the, the vision of what their organization was and start a little bit from from scratch based on their modern workforce and and what their workforce needs now um, as well as what they've experienced over the last couple of weeks and and what they therefore want as part of that arrangement you know do more people want to have that mix between potentially an office or a workplace environment and home those people who actually know that that they you know they find it very difficult to work from home and they really benefit from that office environment um, managers might have lots of ideas about things ways that their teams can work better and differently um, and uh, yeah I, my, my advice would be to you know to, to go out to the people that work alongside the managers within your business um, and talk to them about how they think the the new world could could work and potentially you know using this opportunity now this, this kind of breathing space um, to yeah to, to make some new plans yeah, really insightful. So, you know, I'm picking up there, you know, lots of open and honest conversation and then use a lot of that feedback to put in place a really strong plan and strategy. Okay, that's brilliant. Uh, Leah, I've got one for you here. Um, so somebody's saying, what, what should we do if our organization is very small? So around 20 people uh, and people are, are, might be afraid to open up on mental health challenges because everyone knows each other and because it's such a close group of people. Yeah, it's really hard and it, it comes back again to um, creating that safe space and that safe environment. And I think you should always think about it, you know, in terms of, well, would we, what is the level of information that we would expect about any health uh, condition to be shared here? And you use the same sensitivities for that as you would around uh, around mental health issues and making sure people feel that it's safe to do that. You could do practical things and um, make sure that you're not forcing people to talk. This isn't about, I've seen, I saw some, through, some questions on the chat coming through about specific questions around mental health. And, and I would say actually that you need to work up to that. And that's why I, I say starting with open questions is the way to do it. Because if somebody isn't ready to disclose to you, they are not ready to disclose to you. And you can't, you can't force them to do that. You can do more damage than that. Which is why starting with open questions, things like, you know, how are you? How are things going? Gives people the opportunity to tell you what's going on. If they don't tell you straight away, that's that's okay you can come back to that you can come back to that conversation and you don't need to you don't need to push it um but you you gently you can gently guide it it's there, there's a there's a skill to that in terms of you know how you how you get them and you, and you how you get them to disclose to you and you always need to be in the position of remembering you're not expected to be this person's therapist that's not your that's not your role and i think that's often um really difficult for in small companies where you, you might have really close relationships with people is trying to get those boundaries in place. So what's important is making sure that's set up from the beginning. If, you know, if you, if you know that there is a particular person who is, has the responsibility for having these types of wellbeing conversations and that the person knows that the conversations with them are outside of you know other normal working relationships and that is going to remain as confidential as it can you obviously can't you know if there's something that's going to affect some you know something that you, you have to disclose but they know that what they tell you is going to remain as confidential as it, as it possibly can be and that um 
is the way that I would deal with, especially in, in small environments, is, you know, maybe having a, a dedicated person and, and people knowing what the rules are around those conversations. Brilliant. Thank you. I think we've probably got time for one more question. So it's going to come to you again, Leah. Um, and someone's saying it's hard to go from zero to 100. So I think we're saying for companies who have no mental health initiatives in place, so we're thinking potentially of smaller SME businesses, what should the first step be in terms of the first engagement with employees about this? What should be the first couple of things uh, businesses should look to do? I think I would probably um, start by using, I mean, you probably, even the smallest companies will have, will have um, feedback mechanisms. You know, you'll have your usual, you know, my, my teams, we'd have usual team reviews or because you know, I'm in healthcare, it's usually been kind of education pieces. You can use your existing structures to start those conversations. You know, wh why not have a session around, you know, a, a, an education session around well-being, which doesn't require people to engage straight away. It's more of a learning piece, but that demonstrates that we're beginning to think about this. And, you know, these are the, these are the values we're trying to espouse here in terms of treating mental health as equal to physical health. And, and, and I think that's often, so that's often what I've done in engagement pieces. In, so I, I often have to work in, environments where um you think even in healthcare settings where where mental health has that stigma around it and that's often what i would do i would start off with something that is we're talking about mental health in quite broad terms how you know how wide-ranging the experience is and and trying to give people examples that fit with their experience uh, of that world and so that i can slowly bring people into to talking about it but not requiring people to engage straight away if you go in there asking people straight away how's your mental health how are you doing today are you depressed you're 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 probably going to get people clamming up because it's too different to normal it needs to be a gentle a gentle workup okay that's Brilliant, Leah. Thank you. I, I know I did say it was the last one, but I've just seen a really good one come in, which I'm going to throw at you again, if that's all right. Um, uh, what advice, uh, this is you, Leah, what advice have you got when an employee is clearly suffering, but are not self-aware of their own health? So it's, it can be really hard and it, what, it comes right back to this, having the right relationship and having the conversation. You will be extremely surprised the number of times somebody just has not been asked how they are doing are, are you are you okay what's what's going on are you okay it's not great because you might get a yes or no but it, you know what what's going on and just saying you might you could just say you've noticed what you've noticed is it i've no you know i've noticed that you seem to be having trouble concentrating is is everything okay can we do anything to help offer help and it, that can be all it takes for somebody to open up to you as to what's going on. And if it doesn't succeed the first time, try again, because people are not used to having those conversations and they're not used to it being okay. You, what, I might, what I might sometimes do is, um, is I might, if somebody, you know, so in a, in a clinical consultation, what I would do, and you know, this is, this is something that, that happens all the time, people can be really difficult to engage in, and and unwilling to talk about what's going on, I might talk about other people I've looked after. I'd say, you know, I've, I've looked after, you know, I'll take whatever little I know and I will say, okay, I've looked after somebody who had these kind of problems. Is, is, you know, is anything like that happening for you? Is this, is this something that I can help with or, or is it something different? You tell me, you tell me what's going on. And it's always about you engaging that person to, to give you the description of what's going on and not making assumptions about what they're experiencing because you just don't know what's going on in their head. They may be, you know, they may be worrying, oh, this is, this is so weird, I don't want to tell anybody, or this is so personal and difficult and it hurts too much when I talk, when I, when I talk too much. You just, there's a thousand things that could be going on. But the, the, the kinder you are and the more approachable and empathic you are in opening those conversations, the more likely somebody is going to be able to open up to you. You will know, you'll know who the people are in your business that, you know, the people are who people go to. You always have that person where people, are, you know, are willing to go to that person. And that's because they have that way of approaching and they, they do the active listening thing. So we talked a bit before Alex about, about, you know, how important part this is of, of my work. Learning to listen is, is actually quite tricky, actually quite difficult to do. Um, but it's you, once you can master that, if you can 
sit back, take what your own agenda is off, and what you're concerned about is what's going on for that person, you're suddenly in the position to listen actively. And the, and the other person will sense that. And when you mean it, when you really mean it, other people sense that and that is what helps them engage and open up. Yeah, I've seen that in action before, actually. Very, very powerful. Okay, um, right. That is all we've got time for. Thank you ever so much for answering those questions, Claire and Leah. Um, so I appreciate we weren't able to get through all of the questions. So um, Leah and Claire and Sarah and myself, we've all left our details here. Um, so if anybody has got any further questions, you're, we're more than happy for you to reach out to us and, and uh, ask any questions you may have. Um, but I will just finish by saying a huge, huge thank you um, to yourself, Leah, and to Claire for all of your input today, for all of your hard work up to this point and everything you've prepared and delivered to the team. So thank you very much, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then a final massive thank you to everybody for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed the content. I hope you enjoyed what we've been covered. Um, if you missed what I said earlier, all of this will be sent out um, via email next Monday. So you'll get a full copy of the recording of the webinar along with the slides as well. So you're not going to miss out on, on any of that. Um, but yeah, that, that's it from us today. So thank you for joining us and um, hopefully we'll join you for another one soon. Thanks, guys. We hope you enjoyed this amazing episode of State of Work. Thanks for being with us and we hope to see you next time. If you have any questions or feedback for us, feel free to head over to ehypendays.com and get in touch. Alternatively, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. Bye for now.